to start by uh, thanking Ted and Jan for coming and sharing music with us this morning. Uh, it's great to have you uh, join us this morning. Yeah, I've spent enough time around farms to know that uh, sometimes on a Sunday, work has to be done. Um, Katie's family has a dairy farm, and uh, the cows don't stop giving milk uh, on Sunday. They, they haven't uh, been following those Ten Commandments very closely. <clears throat> I also said last week that rest is an invitation. It is not... Uh, just about making us feel guilty for all the things that we screwed up and did wrong. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit more about that uh, today and in the weeks to come. This morning we're going to be looking at number four of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's interesting that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all walked faithfully with God without the Ten Commandments. They lived prior to the commandments. It seems that the law and the commandments maybe aren't God's ideal way of living. God created us to live in relationship, not just out of duty to a law. Relationship is the ideal. And we're going to pick up on this a little bit today, but uh, especially in, in a couple weeks as we continue this series on rest and Sabbath. Before we jump into this morning's sermon, would you pray with me? <clears throat> Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Would you speak to all of us this morning through me or despite me? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to look at the context in which we are given the Ten Commandments to get a little bit of a better sense of why God gives the Ten Commandments. And specifically looking, there's two places, two texts, that we are given the Ten Commandments. One is in Exodus chapter 20, and the other is from Deuteronomy 5 that Ben read for us this morning. But to get a little bit better idea of where these commandments come from, we're going to flip back to Exodus 5. Part of your homework this week is to go and read all of chapter 5, so you get a better idea of how Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh to request time to go out into the wilderness to worship God and how Pharaoh shuts them down. Pharaoh can't stand to have his slaves, his workers, his workforce stop producing for any amount of time. We read in Exodus chapter 5, says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, we learned last week, Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go so they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh, that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh says, I'm a God, or 
Cyrus, Ra, the Egyptian gods, I know who they are. But who is this Yahweh that I'm going to pay any attention to what he wants? Then Moses and Aaron, they said, The God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go three days' journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. Let us take a break. Let us stop working for just a little bit of time that we can go and we can worship. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet they, you want them to stop working? Stop working? Are you crazy? Pharaoh has his empire that needs built. He's got temples and shrines to himself. There's no time for rest. Get on with your work. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people, as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them, then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. Pharaoh tries to work the will out of them. Any thought of resistance or uprising, freedom, Pharaoh just wants to squash it. If they're just forced into work, forced to produce, forced to be efficient, they'll forget about that whole idea of freedom. Pharaoh tells the taskmasters to relay the message. He increases the work and the demands, and yet he expects the same production. Pharaoh doesn't see people. He sees lowly life forms that are there to serve him. What's interesting as you go and read the rest of Exodus chapter 5 is that the Moses and Aaron come back to the Israelites and after the Israelites find out about their new work demands, they get mad. They're not mad at Pharaoh. They're mad at Moses and Aaron. What have you done to us? Pharaoh is now upset with us. We know that God sends the plagues then, which are all a judgment against the Egyptian gods with the last plague reserved for judgment against Pharaoh himself. And the people flee Egypt. And they run into the trap of the Red Sea and they get to that trap and they say, if only we would have died in Egypt. And God gets them past that. And then they get hungry. And if only we were back in Egypt, we would have had food. God provides food. And they get thirsty. If only we were back in Egypt. They keep looking back to Egypt. They keep looking back to the familiar slavery rather than forward to the unknown freedom. What kind of brainwashing takes place when you value the safety of slavery. 
we read the rest of the story of Exodus. But this morning we're looking at Deuteronomy. And there's a difference between Exodus and Deuteronomy. Exodus is a story that's told kind of as it happens, as it unfolds. But Deuteronomy is told from the point where the the Israelites have wandered through the wilderness. They've now reached the promised land again, and they are about to enter the promised land. Moses is aging, and he knows that he has been forbidden to enter the promised land. And he stops the people. And he retells the story of Exodus. But he doesn't just tell this, retell this story as though this is something that happened to their ancestors. Remember, the people that are about to enter the promised land were maybe little children when they had wandered through the desert. That first generation that escaped Egypt had no faith to enter the promised land, and so they wandered for 40 years. Moses doesn't tell the story about what happened to your ancestors. He tells the story of what has happened to you. The story that is still your story, that God wants to rescue you again from Egypt. Deuteronomy is a recap of what the Israelites have been through. It's Moses retelling the story of God's redemption of his people and delivering them out of Egypt. But I wonder, why does Moses feel it necessary to stop right before they enter the promised land, right before everything gets good, and remind them of where they've been? Why does he feel like he needs to do that? Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, prosperity breeds amnesia. Everything is about to get really good for the Israelites. They're about to enter a land flowing with milk and honey. They're blessed by God to enter and to uh, take control of this beautiful, fertile place. We see through Israel's history that they enjoy a small time of being a world power. And yet even as they enjoy that time, some of their most famous, powerful kings forget the story of Exodus. David is rescued from Goliath, from Saul, and yet he begins to turn away from God. He starts marrying multiple women. He's forbidden from building the temple. Solomon asks for wisdom, and he's given the wisdom, wiser than anyone in the world. And yet he's got a thousand-plus women surrounding him. Other kings are drawn back to idolatry. It's as though in the middle of success, in the, the middle of becoming a world power, they forget the story of Exodus. They forget how God rescued them. They forget how they were slaves in Egypt, and they begin to enslave people in Israel. They forget the story. They become so successful, they forget about Yahweh. 
who rescued them from Egypt. I wonder where we've let successes erase our memory of God's deliverance. What has the church forgotten because it's enjoyed privilege and power in our culture for so long? What do we need to remember as we move into a post-Christian culture? What does it mean for us to be peculiar, different today? Now we can come to the Ten Commandments. As we read through them again, we read them in light of Egypt. God says, don't bother with the Egyptian gods, the Hittite gods, the Canaanite gods, just me. I have no other gods before me. Don't misuse my name, Yahweh. Not Osiris, Ra, Pharaoh. Honor your parents. This one, this commandment comes with a promise. As the Lord your God commanded you, so that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. My translation of that is, I brought you into this world and I will take you out. I've heard that from my parents. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. There's two parts to this list. Jesus sums it up as love God and love others. But observing the Sabbath, this fourth commandment, seems to be a bridge between loving God and loving others. See, Sabbath is time set aside to worship God. But I also want you to see how Sabbath impacts the lives of others, too. So if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is what we read this morning. It says, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. Not doing work. It's the break that Moses and Aaron requested from Pharaoh back in Exodus. Give us a break. Let us stop working for time to go and to worship. God says, it's not just three days once in a while. It's freedom and rest, a break to worship every week. A chance to reconnect with the God of Exodus. Remember how you were forced to work in Egypt seven days a week. It goes on. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your town so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. It's not just the individual men of Israel called to rest. It's their entire family, their servants, their animals, even the foreigners living with them. Sabbath is meant to be a blessing to everyone. 
Israel was marked out as a different kind of people in many ways. Circumcision, all of their cleanliness laws. But Sabbath was meant to be good news to the people of Israel, to the people living in Israel. It was meant to be good news for the free, the servants, even the animals. Deuteronomy 5.14 and Exodus 20.11 both have this commandment of observing the Sabbath. In Exodus 20.11, the reason for observing the Sabbath is about God resting at the end of creation. We looked at that last week. Exodus says, remember the Sabbath because on the seventh day, God rested. But here in Deuteronomy, the justification for Sabbath isn't based on creation. It's so that your slave, your servant, may rest as well as you. See, not everyone works the same amount. Not everyone earns the same amount. Some of us have blue-collar jobs, and some of us have white-collar jobs, and some of us are retired, and some of us are students, and yet rest is the same invitation for each of us. When we come to the foot of the cross, the ground is level. It doesn't matter how much you've achieved and accomplished, how efficient you were, what kind of test scores you had this week. We come and we rest. We're invited to lay all of our work, our earning, our achieving aside to rest. We're invited not to worry about our test scores, our positions, whether we made the cut this week or not, and to just rest. Verse 15 goes on. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember what it was like to be valued by how much you produced. Remember the never-ending, unbearable load of work you used to carry. Remember Pharaoh. God, Yahweh, has given you freedom. And he calls us, don't you dare begin to enslave someone else. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. See, Sabbath rest impacts our relationship with God. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning, all right? When I say Sabbath and I say rest, I mean God invites us to times of just rest. And sometimes that happens on a Sunday morning, and sometimes that doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we have to find other times to rest and to just be in God's presence. But those times of rest are to remember who God is, how God has rescued us and saved us. But you know, that time of rest is also to impact our relationship with others, that we are called to proclaim good news about rest in Jesus. It's supposed to impact the way we treat other people. What is keeping the Sabbath holy 
look like for us today? In an ideal world, we would all be able to rest on the same day. We'd all be able to come and worship and not work and share fellowship on the same day. In an ideal world. We're not there. So we all need to find times, create space, maybe schedule times of rest. Maybe it means your family coming up with regular scheduled times of intentional rest together. Worship leader and author Marva Dawn suggests that Maybe a way of remembering Sabbath is that if you go out to eat on a Sunday, which we used to never do, my grandparents never ate out on Sabbath on Sunday because that would make somebody else work. Never mind that grandma had to be slaving away in the kitchen to prepare the meal for everyone. So some of us go out to eat on a Sunday. Marva Dawn suggests as a way of proclaiming rest and freedom, maybe it's a day to leave an extra big tip. See, in Egypt, people were valued by how much they produced. Pharaoh didn't care about anyone's personal transformation. He didn't care about their physical, emotional, or spiritual well-being. They were a means to an end. They were his slaves. He cared about how many bricks they produced. In the command to rest and to allow the entire society to rest, God says, you are more than brick makers. I love you because I created you. I don't love you based on your test scores. I don't love you based on how efficient you were at your job this week. I don't love you based on how much paperwork you got through this week. I love you because I created you. Because you bear my image. I love you because you are a human being. Just rest and just be. Because you exist, God loves you. We are not human doings, always being judged by how we achieve, accomplish, by what kind of standards we meet in the workplace or the classroom or the athletic field. God loves you. But some of us struggle with meeting the demands of jobs, with meeting the demands of school and homework and athletics. I read this a few weeks ago um, in a book called Sabbath, as Resistance by Walter Brueggemann. I just want you to hear these words. I think it might apply to a few of us. Do you, when you wake up 
in the night. Remember what you were supposed to have done. Vexed that you did not meet expectations. Do you fall asleep counting bricks? Do you dream of more bricks you have to make yet or of bricks you have made that were flawed? We dream so because we have forgotten Exodus. Remember that we do not live in Egypt and we do not bow to Pharaoh. Look for ways to help others find rest, to break free of Egypt's rat race. We don't have to find our value in making bricks anymore.